Hello, my friend. Welcome to Awaken the Extraordinary. My name is Christy. I am your host or hostess. Honestly, I'm never really sure what term is actually appropriate, but I will just say I am your host for this podcast. And thank you so much for being here. So, you know, like small talk, right? Like, wow, the the weather's really great today. The sun is shining brightly or what are your plans for the day? I'm not great at that. Like, yes, I can engage in those conversations, but that's not what I love. That's not what ignites inspiration and excitement in me. Deep, introspective conversations where I learn about myself through a conversation with someone else where I also learn stuff about them. That's what I love. That's what gets me excited. That's what gets me pumped up. And I hope that that's what this conversation is for you because that's what it was for me. So without further ado, let's get on to that deep conversation, shall we? Hey there, welcome back to another episode of Awaken the Extraordinary. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm really excited for you to hear today's episode. So On today's episode, I am talking to Kayla Shannon. So Kayla is a licensed therapist. I found her on Instagram. I don't even know how I found her, but I did. And I'm really glad that I did. When I started just perusing Kayla's Instagram, I was intrigued because she really seemed to be focused on I thought it was women, um, but it's really men and women gaining a new sense of self after being in a less than ideal relationship. And it was really about empowering these people to step into their own personal power and do what they needed to do to take care of themselves and There were little snippets here and there where I got the sense that, you know, she was helping people who needed to get out of these situations and find an alternate place to live. And I didn't know a lot about her when I invited her on the show. And I kind of like that. I like learning about these people and what they do in real time, really with you as I'm having that conversation. And so my intention in inviting Kayla on was to really talk about what she did and how all of that came about. And while we did talk about those things, the conversation just kind of organically evolved into a conversation about relationships, about healthy relationships, about what to do if you are not in a healthy relationship, and really just kind of that that growth and that evolution that comes from leaving a relationship that really does not empower you, that does not allow you, give you permission to be the most authentic version of yourself. So In this conversation, you will probably learn a little bit more about me, but hopefully you walk away from this with a greater understanding of just relationships as a whole, what is healthy versus maybe not so much, and 
stay tuned because at the end, I will list out a couple of resources in the event that you or anyone else you may know may need. So without further ado, let's uh, introduce you to Kayla Shannon. So as I said earlier, thank you so much for joining Kayla. I really like, I just appreciate you making like alternate arrangements for your daughter and just, just thank you so much. No problem. I'm excited to be here with you. Thank you. And I'm so excited to keep seeing your dog for the duration of our conversation. (laughs) (laughs) So as, as I said, you know, I really don't know much about you aside from the bits and pieces that, that you share on Instagram. And I think the messages that we've exchanged, but if you're able to just kind of give me insight as to just who you are, just generally speaking and anything you feel is like kind of relevant to, you know, what you're, what you're doing today. Sure. Sure. So it's so hard, you know, when you think about your whole life, there's like a whole story, right? Like, where do you start? (laughs) Yep. So, um, well, a big part of my life is I'm a counselor in Pennsylvania. So I'm a licensed therapist and I have a private office. So that's my passion. You know, that's something I've been doing. Like, I think this year it'll be a decade. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's where I'm at right now on this video. So I have an office and then I have a retreat space here as well, where um, I bring in yoga therapists um, and different people to help accentuate um, the therapy that I provide for people. And then also a component of that too is um, self-defense lessons as well. If people are wanting to like learn to step into their power and I believe in the connection of our physical strength and our mental and mm-hmm. emotion. So that's a big part of my life. So the the therapy practice and then the retreat space and self-defense has been a big part of my life, which you see that on Instagram, right. probably um, I'll put my, my individual lessons up there. So I'm a mom and I have a daughter, she's three and a half, mm-hmm. just one. And so she's like, obviously the largest part of my oh, life. Yes, I understand that. <laughs> And then uh, there's so much to tell about my life. I'm not even sure where to start. So, yeah. So I think like, I don't even know how I found you on Instagram, but I feel very fortunate that I did. And what, what has moved me and what I've gathered from what you, you post is you seem to work with women who are in abusive relationships or are seeking to escape something that could potentially turn out that way. And Mm -hmm. I think too, what I've seen recently, um, are you and even your daughter, what's your daughter's name? Her name's Rory. Okay. Rory. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Um, you and Rory just kind of scouting out homes, which I, I interpret to be, you know, places like transitional spaces for people getting out of those types of situations. And I felt like, I guess, you know, what I inferred was that there was a reason that you were doing this as well. So I guess that's, that's kind of, I want to know if just kind of my, my assessments of everything are, are accurate. And then just to learn more you know, about how you came to be doing this and then what exactly you're doing now. 
Oh, absolutely. The first thing I want to say is that I, so I work with both women and men. So believe it, I have, um, I have a good amount of men that have found themselves in controlling relationships. Coercive control is, is a bit behind the scenes and not as direct. Mm -hmm. So, so there are a lot of men out there that are experiencing that. And I've been happy to connect with them and support them. Also, I know a lot of the content out there, you know, is catered more to women, but I think that's because you see a lot more women coming to services to help them. Right. But I have a good amount. So I really want to speak, you know, and represent them well also. So my, I, I've experienced in my life, uh, relationships that have been mentally, verbally abusive, coercive control, and some, some like direct control as well in physical abuse. And I know as a professional person, because I've been out in the field working for a a good number of years now, probably 15 in total, and on my own 10, that professionals or people working in the public or in the helping professions is very hard to admit when you're in a situation like that. So, you know, it, it took me a while to like admit that and then pursue my own support and help. And that's why I pump out so much content now to people to just make it more readily available. And you, you, know? you are very successful at that. I'm like, my gosh, how much stuff does she post? I can't keep up with you. <laughs> it's very, it's very impressive. Really quickly, can you explain what coercive control is? Because I feel like I understand, but I just want to ensure for someone listening who may not that, that they do. Mm-hmm. So co- coercive control is like my passion to talk about. So anytime anyone wants to talk about it, I, I get excited. So what it is, it's when you feel controlled and it's because there's either kind of like an unsaid threat. You know, if if you make any moves, if you decide to leave this relationship, I'm going to I'm going to go to your professional occupation and tell them something about you that isn't, but that they'll believe and that you'll experience some kind of negative, um, adverse thing in your life. There's people who it's financial and they say, if you leave me, I will make sure that I get the amount of spousal support possible, highest amount, you know? I will take your children from you and I will do things with them that you would never be okay with them being allowed to do. Um, So there's a lot of unsaid things, but it's like this implied control over you. It makes you really question, okay, is it better for me to stay in this situation or is it better for my children if I stay in this situation? And a lot of people you know, it, it sometimes is because the court system does not do a very good job of screening for coercive control, right? Mm-hmm. So, so sometimes for people, it is better to stay in a marriage or in a relationship because they have supervision of their children, what they mm-hmm. wouldn't have, all, you know. I have people too, who they don't have children, but it's just like this, this, you know, uh, overarching threat. 
that that something would happen to them, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and just as you're describing that it's, it's kind of disturbing because I think of the relationship between my parents. Um, I think of many relationships that I have been in where I stayed because I was afraid that they would do something. And then in some of those instances, they, they did try to do things after I left. And it's, it's, I think it it might be similar to what you described earlier. I mean, this is the nature of, of what you do day in and day out, but actually admitting to yourself that, Hey, I, I may be in a situation like that too. It's really, it's really hard because then I feel like we then start almost like judging ourselves or criticizing ourselves. And what is it about me that, why am I accepting this? Or why did I stay as long as I did? Right, right. So, and like, if you've been in the situation more than once, like that's a big thing myself. Like I had been in more than one relationship like that. And a lot of my clients said it's the same with them too. And it's like, oh my gosh, like I have to get out of this again. Mm-hmm. But I have a, like, I have a lot of introspection within me. I had an amazing coach several times in my life that she actually is from the UK and boy, are they way ahead of us over here in terms of understanding what coercive control is and oh, wow. actually amazing like laws and all of this great stuff. So that's why I got a coach from there. And she really helped me through it because I think helpers need help and Mm -hmm. being open to so important made a huge difference for me. So there's a lot that I understand of like the why. So, so number one, the first thing is people don't lead with that foot, right? They lead with charming you and, um, oftentimes getting to know what your deepest desires are and literally like laying them out on a platter for you so that you're like, Oh my gosh, this is what I've finally been waiting for. Right. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's a red flag, but if you're someone who, and we can go into the childhood stuff, if you're someone who maybe didn't have a lot of worth and value, or you were used to walking on eggshells or catering to other people's emotions, Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you're raising yeah. mm-hmm. you, which was my, you know, situation. And I think a lot of people's when you are catered to, or you, you know, always wanted is laid out for you. You're like, okay, this is finally it. Yeah. And when you grew up on Disney movies, and they're like, <laughs> right, face carriage, like you're like, yeah, that's it. That's what I've been taught to be waiting for. You know, yeah. I feel like what you're describing can like that type of person, at least like from just my own personal experiences and research, it, it feels like someone who is acting in that way. It it sounds very similar to what I hear a narcissist described as Mm -hmm. So, that accurate. Yeah, that's absolutely accurate. So narcissism, a narcissist is very important important to understand what that is. So that's a person who they're, they have no self-worth as well, mm-hmm. but they 
out in the opposite way that let's say maybe somebody with um, codependency, if you know what that is. Yes. I'm in recovery from codependency um, and actively work to stay in recovery. Um, So it's like you have the same wounds, but you're acting it out in different ways. But I will also tell you just from my experience and professionally, psychopath abuse and sociopathic abuse is uh, not far behind that. And I think it's Mm -hmm. important for people to understand what level they're dealing with of abuse. Although just narcissistic abuse is enough to really, really harm someone, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been in therapy off and on since I was 16. um, And I was in, I mean, really like what I consider to be an extremely emotionally abusive relationship. Like I never, I never experienced, I mean, like the gaslighting, like I didn't even know what that was, but I remember I just felt like I was doubting everything I said. I was doubting everything that I did. And I was like, I'm a a relatively intelligent person. Like I'm, I'm very thoughtful and introspective, but I remember just second guessing everything that I was doing, feeling as though I was crazy. And, you know, there, there was like a final argument where like my two little dogs that I had at the time, like jumped off and ran under the bed. And I was so tired of seeing that. And then something clicked. I remember sitting on the floor in the bathroom and just crying because I was miserable. And then there was something that clicked. And I realized that how I felt in this relationship, although like I hated how I felt like it, it was so hurtful. It was so painful. In some ways it was familiar that the ways that I felt. And I was like, why does this feel familiar? And then I realized, oh, because this is how I felt with my mom since probably the age of 14. Yes, yes, yes. And like, I think that's so helpful to say, when have I felt this way mm-hmm. before? And it a lot of it, and that's actually another project, as we end up talking about the projects that I'm working on, we, meaning myself and, and the people that I've been so lucky to be connected with, including my self-defense instructor, We want to go into junior high and high schools and help people understand that it starts in your family of origin, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes. And then you're going to bring that into your first dating relationships Mm -hmm. and what you're willing to. And also, you know, if you yourself are acting out the gaslighting or the breadcrumbing and things like that. And it's, it's funny when you were talking, I mean, it's not funny. I just, that's just one of my filler words, but it's, I guess it's, it was interesting because, you know, when you were talking about just like that controlling type of behavior, um, and like the, the coercive control and just kind of the slick ways that, that I think kind of slides in under the radar, it made me think about my, my early relationships or, relationships that my friends were in, you know, in high school, when the guys would be super jealous, or they would be controlling, and they would want to limit like who you talk to. And we thought it was cute. We thought it was funny. Oh, they must really love us and care about us. Mm -hmm. And now, I mean, as a 44 year old woman, I look back at the relationship I was in when I was 18. And that person 
would tell me to like move to a certain spot in the room. And if I didn't do that, he would literally pick me up and move me to where he wanted me to be. And it, it irritated me. But I remember even years later, just kind of laughing at it. And now I'm like, why did I laugh at that at all? That is incredibly disturbing. And if I ever heard of my son doing that, just, mm-hmm. oh, like that, that there would be problems because I'm just, that that is to me exactly like what you're talking about. And I think exactly what you said, talking to people at those ages, like that, that is key in helping break maybe just getting them to think about things differently, I guess. Mm-hmm. So you'll, you'll hear me say this probably a couple times. I am such a huge proponent of self-accountability. And there was so much during the last, I don't know, even like 10 years of my life that I had to stop and say, what is it about me, what I'm tolerating and why, and, yes. and taking account for removing myself, extracting myself from those situations and fixing whatever that is, you know, Mm -hmm. it was not helpful for me to remain in. And I mean this in a loving way, like toward myself uh, in a victim mentality that wasn't helpful. And Mm -hmm. that's where getting into self-defense was hugely empowering, you know, and my self-defense instructor saying like, you have your power. You hold on to your power and keep your power. You can decide to give it away, but why would you do that? Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's so true. Just that victim mentality. And I think really having that level of self awareness and really courage to be able to look at yourself and say, what is it about me that is allowing this situation to occur? What is it about me that, that keeps me in these awful relationships? Like, what is it about me? Because what's the, what's the common denominator there? It's, it's me, but (laughs) I think, yeah, me, if I've been in more than one relationship, similar to that, I'm the common denominator, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that's, that's so true with, (laughs) with so many other things. Like, let's say every job you've had 10 jobs and every job you've had, you've gotten fired, you know, I mean, what is it about you? And it's not to say like you're a bad person or you're a, we- it's just, there's something in there that needs to be looked at. There's something there that needs to be w- worked on so that you're not continuing those patterns of behavior. That's allowing the bad relationship or the constant terminations. It's not allowing that in your space anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that all goes back to our childhoods, mm-hmm. you know, so, so for, for, uh, tons of reasons you can end up with some codependency in your childhood. Um, I describe it. You're looking at me so I can actually use my tools I use here in the counseling. So, so imagine like, you know, you have someone in your family of origin who has major depression or who has a substance use issue or, or has narcissism. Okay. Well then all the other family members, if they're orbiting around that person and saying, what mood are they in today? How are they doing today? Did I clean up enough? What did I do? Am I happy enough? Is there a smile on my face enough? You know, 
that orbit, that start at that young age is called codependency. And once we've developed that orbit, uh, just because that maybe family of origin person isn't, isn't our center anymore, we'll go find other people to orbit. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. until knocked off your orbit and you're really like, and that's what happened to me. I was like, Whoa, okay. I need to figure that. You know what, that, that brings me like to this realization that I don't think I've ever had before, because so much of what you're describing is my mother and my relationship. Like that's how I can relate to it. And you know, I, I had to be so aware of how she was feeling. So I knew how I should be behaving. And I feel like I've told this to my husband a lot of the time, like off very often is that I feel like my sense of humor and just kind of my, my hamminess, I guess I developed that because she was, she was angry. A lot of the time she was upset. And so I needed to do something Mm -hmm. to cheer her up to make her happy. Like that was my job. And now that's just, I think become a part of who I am. And I, I like that. I'm okay with that, you know, Yeah. but my husband and I have a very complicated relationship, very different than anybody else I ever dated, but we, we were together for three and a half years. We were engaged and then something happened and we just broke up. And I remember being completely devastated. Like you said, knocked off my orbit. I just, I I just couldn't believe it. Like I was in the deepest state of despair I'd ever been in, in my entire life. And I realized, you know, probably six months or so later that that was really the best thing that could have ever happened to me because I didn't know who I was. You know, I was so my my world for the longest time centered around my mom and then it would center around the people that I dated and then it, it ended with him. And then when that ended, I was like, I don't even know who in the hell I, I am and what Mm -hmm. I really like and what I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. when you said that, that just, it, it, it clicked for me in a way that it never has before. I'm a big believer in life is happening for us mm-hmm. to us. And that I like that makes me think what you experienced was happening for you yeah. to have that and people may think I'm a little bit silly, but I believe that the things that happened for me, same thing. I would never be at the place that I am able to support other people and the housing project we'll talk about um, and to be able to provide for my daughter in the way that I am if I hadn't had these like collisions right mm-hmm. with these other you know yeah. whenever whenever we we label them or call them or call their behaviors I'm thankful for the collision because it needed to happen yeah. and I'm 35 right now okay and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so thankful that I learned this now, mm-hmm. right? I have people that come in and see me that I absolutely adore. And they range from younger than me in these um, dynamics to 75. Sure. And you know what? When people realize it doesn't matter how, how where they are uh, on the age bracket, when they realize that they can take their power back and they can own it and they can take accountability and make changes, they do. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter what age 
you know, right. but you know, it does matter their resources. Are they able to get safe, secure um, housing yeah. that they maybe would really feel at home at? Are they able to have security people to keep an eye on them while they're going through that transition? Are they able to have the coaching or the counseling? Are they able to have group a group of women or men who have been through what they've been through to help pull them through on the other side of that? Right. And yeah. success happens when people have the support that they need. Well, yeah. And I mean, and I'm just thinking just in general, um, you know, I mean, counseling isn't always easy to come by, you know? Mm -hmm. And I remember just honestly, I mean, when I was on, on stress leave, my counselor, her hourly rate was $175 an hour. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was able to afford that for a while. And then after a while, I was like, I'm back to work and now taxes are being taken out. And, you know, it was just, it was because I, at the time I was in California and they have disability, which I really think all States need. Um, it was one, one of the things I liked about California, but I just couldn't like, it, it wasn't financially feasible for me to continue to do that. And mm -hmm. she was a wonderful counselor. Um, but I know that there are other resources out there. I know that there are people that work on like a sliding scale, or I know that there's some opportunities for services to be offered for free. I know that there are apps, but that's one of my things too, is just people having the availability to access what they need when they need it. Yeah. And that's the beauty of also Instagram and TikTok and, mm -hmm. you know, all the platforms that you see, like, I, I mean, I think the biggest thing is you see people surviving something and they don't even have to be a professional, right. but maybe one that someone sees makes, makes uh, a year's worth of therapy of a difference for someone. And they just yeah. saw it for free, Yeah, you, you know? Um, so I love these platforms and I'm not like tech savvy or anything, but I've, I've made myself learn because I think it's so wonderful, you know, and connecting mm -hmm. like that's how you, connected, yeah. which is really, yeah. Um, but the other thing too, with people in coercive controlling relationships, um, if you were to ask people, they would be uncomfortable if their partner knew, and a lot of partners will dissuade their partner from yep. going mm -hmm. counselor. That's a very common thing. And so, or maybe they're told that they cannot, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So, that's a big thing. And there's a lot of times I meet with people on the down low, um, or we meet on the phone, or we meet weird hours. I work weekends, I work nights, you know, to make myself available. That's so amazing that you do that. So what, what prompted you to do this? Um, oh, oh, that's a great question. <laughs> so a lot of it had to do with my family dynamics growing up. Um, my mom had major depression and she had a lot in her childhood and her life that she didn't recover from. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I don't think at that time there was a lot of good. There. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that ended up being a big thing in my life. Mm -hmm. And uh, the dynamics between my parents, a lot of codependency walking on eggshells that they did. And then we, um, you know, so there was a lot there, but, uh, long story short, 
uh, when I was in seventh grade, my mom's depression got worse and she attempted suicide in a very, I mean, we thought, we thought we lost her actually. Like we were told at the hospital, she was being lifelighted somewhere and we were told that she was gone. So there were so many, you know, emotions, obviously don't get too tearful, but uh, so, you know, that was a big part of my life and that was when things started. So she was in an inpatient unit and got some help. And then my sister and I and my dad and my mom, we all went to individual therapists and actually they would do family therapy with us. Um, sorry. Don't, don't apologize. Don't apologize. You take all the time you need. But this is, this is like the funny part of the story. My therapist that I had, she was like this amazing classy lady. And you know, I'm in seventh grade and like, you know, in seventh grade, how you're like awkward and you're like, oh, yes. <laughs> you know? you know, I, I, at 44, I still feel awkward. <laughs> beautiful classy lady. She's just, that was the first time in my life that I felt just focused on, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. and seen and heard so anyway and she was amazing so I remember sitting across from her and thinking oh my gosh like you're nice to people for a living that's your job I'm gonna do that you know that's that's amazing though for you to have like thought that and look at what you're doing now yeah huge difference huge difference in my life and then I feel like I'm kind of like one of the lucky people like when people say to me I don't know what I want to do or what my purpose is you know I love supporting people with that right like helping them realize their purpose or letting their purpose find them and I'm a big believer in that like Mm -hmm. our finds us yeah when we're ready for it you know but I do believe it comes through tough circumstances a lot of Mm -hmm. times yeah yeah. So I feel like so lucky that that happened at such a young age. And then I got my first experience with therapy. And obviously since then, like, I'm such a believer in whatever someone's therapy is. It doesn't have to be a therapist's office, like traditional therapy. Although I'm still here in the office. I was the whole time during covid right here with people. Sometimes the only person people saw, right. you know, for a, um, so traditional therapy, I think is awesome, but, um, sometimes people's therapy, uh, is, is, you know, social media stuff or is reading books that, mm-hmm. you know, fill what they're needing or give them the education. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, so, I'm so sorry for what you experienced as a kid and, how old was your sister? How old is your sister? Are you older or younger? My sister is a couple years older than me. So she's three and a half years older than okay. me. Well, she, would, she was four years, you know, like in school. And yeah, like I have obviously so much empathy for her because she was in high school, you know, when all that was. And that's even more pivotal. She became, you know, by default, another parent or another adult in the family right and and Mm -hmm. I think I think already was I think she was you know a confidant for my mom long before that um so if if you're looking at like family stereotypes or whatever um I probably was like kind of like the lost child plus like 
the people pleaser, like everybody okay, but kind of like over here. And she was very much like, like the other adult and, yeah. you know, very adultified early on. The, the parentified child, right? Yeah. Not what they call it. Um, well, I'm, I'm so sorry for what you and your sister, I mean, honestly, your whole family experienced and I, I, I can't imagine like the impact that that has on so many levels, but I'm, I'm glad that it led you to do what you're doing. And I, I feel like for me, um, you know, also getting into therapy at a relatively young age, there was never that, that stigma for me. I've always felt very comfortable letting people know, yeah, I've been in therapy off and on since I'm, since I was 16 and I had a lot of stuff to work through. And I think I have looking at, at my family dynamics, all the, all the crappy stuff that I experienced that really pushed me into therapy. I mean, ironically, it was my mother who pushed me into therapy and I'm like, you're, the, you're pretty much like, you're like 60% of why I'm here, but okay. But you know, I feel like it allowed me an opportunity to get to know myself and understand myself so that I'm not continuing these cycles of behavior for myself, like for my family. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was a big thing for me too. You know, I thought I had, um, you know, like grown past all of those patterns. Like I think, I don't know if you've seen the memes now, but where you're like protecting your child from the family past trauma. But you know what? I think having kids for people who think that they're like completely done healing and then you have your first child and you're face to face with things that Mm -hmm. you never, you never ever thought were there, let alone, you know, were able to heal ahead. Yeah. Yeah. That like, that gives me chills, Kayla, because I felt like I was in a really good place with my healing. And then I got pregnant and I really started thinking about my childhood. I was, I have a sister who's nine years older. I was asking her things because I couldn't remember. And, um, how my, my parents were interacting with me while I was pregnant, specifically my mother, it just kind of brought a lot of stuff to the forefront that I don't think would have, I would have even really thought about had I not been pregnant. And then once I had my son looking how, look, watching my sister parent, my niece, very similarly to how our mother parented us. Uh And my niece is 25, you know, so she's older and I look at my son and I'm like, I'm not going to do that to him. And it's really hard, I think, to parent differently than you were parented. I feel like you need to be very, it, it requires a lot of thought because I feel like so much of what's natural to me isn't what I want to do. So I need to be very conscious and intentional about the choices that I'm making. But again, none of this would have happened if I hadn't had him or gotten 
pregnant, you know, I would, I think I would be looking at life very differently. And of course I'm thankful for him as I'm sure you are for your daughter. I know you are, but I'm thankful for him because I'm continuing to heal. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like just that theory of like life is happening for us, you know, like these special children are in our lives for a reason, you know, and and we're growing because of them. And then hopefully their lives will expand and they'll have experiences and growth and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. Like, again, like, I just wish I could go back and give well, I wish I could just give you a hug now, but I could, I wish I could give 12 year old you a hug. Um, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, yeah. and you know, it's just so amazing when you think about that role of that therapist for me, you know, yeah. and so, even though I've been in practice for 10 years and like, you know, I'm pretty used to doing what I do with people because I have all different ages that come in and it's not always because of abuse. Although I'm always listening, you know, for dynamic stuff with kids. Um, so, but I think about that and I remind myself, you know what, you, you might be the one person yeah. that, that is hearing them and seeing them. You know what I mean? For- yeah. When well, I could and get- I think what, what you described, like that was really the first time that you felt seen and heard and. It sounds like, you know, that someone was actually interested in, in how you felt and how you perceive the world. And that's very much how I felt about my therapist too. Like, I will never, I will never forget her. And, and it's funny, like, it's like every 10 years or so, like, I'll just randomly look her up just to, just to see if she's still alive and, you know, to see what I've she's up to. And and I don't know, like, this is kind of making me think like, maybe I should like write her a letter and just, you know, I don't know that she would ever remember me. I mean, that was so long ago, but you yeah. know, she, she played, she played a very pivotal role in my life. And she encouraged me to do something when I think back at it, think back about it now. Um, you know, I basically confronted my parents about some really bad stuff and, I was a 16 year old kid. And, and the fact that I did that, I'm like, wow, but I couldn't have done it without her, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You should, write, you should write her a little card. You'd be surprised. I think that, I think people do remember, you yeah. know, they, you, you know, she probably would or he, whoever you had. She, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I, I will. I'm not going to say maybe I will. I will. And you know, even if she doesn't remember me, it's always nice to know that you made a positive impact, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I'm sure you were absolutely that person for someone too. I hope so. You know, so now, you know, because, because of being open about what I've gone through and then realizing like, holy cow, uh, being in your power physically, like with learning self-defense and then, um, you know, combining that like with my own emotional healing and accountability for myself. I like love to share that with other people and empower other people. So I don't even know how to describe how it happened, but 
So a, a now good friend of mine, this was a, a landlord essentially that I had known from my hometown. I knew, you know, had some properties and ah, this is how it happened. <laughs> I knew, I knew him. Okay. And I felt like for my healing, like something was missing. Like I did the self-defense. I'd gotten myself out of my situation. I was feeling good, but not, there was something like missing to my healing. Mm -hmm. So it was like 1230 at night. I instant messaged, you know, off a messenger from Facebook, the women's shelter in my hometown. And I said, I would love to help if there's some way I could help or give a financial donation or something I could do, I would, I would love to know how to do that. And I really was kind of trying to give a financial donation, but I couldn't find how to do that. <laughs> the, this was a Saturday night, right? The next morning I'm headed to the office cause I work on weekends and the director messages me back and says, who, you know, who she is and she would love to meet with me. And I'm like, Oh, well, I wasn't expecting that. Right. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that sounds great. And, you know, arranged for, for when somebody could have my daughter and I could go in and meet with her around work and stuff. And I met with her and our conversation was honestly like your, yours and mine, you know, yeah. we were talking and she shared some things with me and I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. You know, you really understand because of your own life, like mm -hmm. who you're helping. Cause I think that's what happens. A lot of people who have been through something, they yeah. go into fear. Yeah. So she said, you, you know what? you know, what would really help us is having landlords, having places for people to transition to after shelter, because we get a huge amount of people in the shelter and they also serve women and men too. We get a huge amount of people and then we get people on a wait list and this will make you cry. Sometimes people on the wait list lose their lives. Like, you know, because yeah. they're on a wait list. So she tells me that and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go do some networking. I'll be back. Yeah. And I contact, you know, this person I knew more like on a, on a professional level at the time and now good friends with him and his wife. Um, and he says, bring me to meet her. If we can help, let's do it. So then, you know, we schedule a meeting and meet with her and, we all put our ideas together and now we're, I think six, almost seven people in to homes oh my that gosh. we've redone. And it, I'm also invested into it now that I found somewhere to put yeah. that money to. Right. Which, was, then, which was all you wanted to do at the beginning. Oh right. God. But in like, you know, hopefully a bigger way. So now, you know, we're hoping to build to 40 or more if we can. Oh my gosh, Kayla. That's amazing. Hoping to expand to, to more states and things like that. So like that's becoming like a movement. And then I get to follow up with people. It's not enough to put people in housing after shelter. They need followed up with. So I go and I meet with them. Say, what do you need? And sometimes we need more security cameras. Sometimes we need a security detail, which is something we're doing right now and working mm -hmm. on right now. Very doable, by the way, yeah. for anybody out there that isn't leaving because they're afraid the person will follow them. We can get you a security detail. 
and figure that out and get it paid for through grants and through help or private donors, right? So there's that. There's we can train you in self-defense. We can train you on what vulnerabilities your house might have to protect you. And then, of course, you know, my piece is I can help support you or get you to someone that can rebuild your self-worth. And maybe from the beginning to now, maybe from the family of origin stuff to now so that you're not like me and you don't end up in more than one situation like this. Right. You know, that's amazing. Like, I I'm just blown away that this started because you just like on Saturday night, like I'm just going to send them a message. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it was so, but that's where inspired action is yeah. something I think needs like more attention just across the board. So inspired action is when we get an idea yeah. and we get excited yeah. a little bit. Like it, it makes us light up. And I think sometimes like we ignore it or we're like, eh, you know, maybe I'll send that message next week or, you know, mm-hmm. but I, act. when I get an idea, I act on it yeah. and I'm lucky in that way. And that's how things line up. That's how I started self-defense. That's how I, um, you know, ended up in, in my really healthy situation I'm in now. That's how I'm like helping build this housing program that hopefully is going to be a big movement, you know? And, oh, and the other thing I did meanwhile, but this, I'm going to totally like give rights to my clients is during COVID time. And while I was like navigating, getting out of my own situation, I was talking with people and realizing, wow, you're really evolving inside yourself. And then I'm like, you're a self evolver. And then I got an idea and I said, what if there was clothing people could wear that like just shows like, I'm not afraid of doing the work. I'm evolving. I'm proud of it. Whatever that is, if it's recovering from depression, domestic violence, substance use, just owning your worth or stepping into the career you've always wanted, starting your own business, you're, you're a self-evolver. So yeah. acted on an impulse, looked up branding companies to help me build a brand, found, picked the first one that came up on Google. Cause I thought, well, they're doing a great job with branding and marketing. Cause they're, 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 they're number one. <laughs> yeah. And so they're called savvy and they're actually out of Santa Barbara in California. Okay. All of those people that work for that company are amazing. Listen to me, listen to the inspiration from my clients, what the mission was about, what that was, and built a, a clothing line called Self Evolver. So, awesome. yeah, so it's sweatshirts, t shirts, tanks, stuff like that. And the message is I'm owning my evolution, I'm proud of I what I. That how I've come through what I've come through. It's unisex. So it's for everybody, LGBTQ. I mean, it's, it's for everybody. I love that. So how would we purchase something? Where would we go? So it's selfevolver.co. I'm on Instagram and the actual website itself, you know, you can just go to, and once that builds there's, there's going to be like a, a part of that, that will donate to a different cause. Awesome. The yeah. one of the biggest things I'm excited about that is 
when people write in and they want to be a self-evolver, like a brand ambassador, so they write in and then I update who's on the website every couple months. Mm -hmm. So you should check it out. There's a couple that's on there. They're amazing people. Go look at their story about the evolution of their relationship and their marriage and their lives. And then there's two other people. So now there's been a total of eight people Mm -hmm. that have been self told their story, you get free merch. Um, but you really get the opportunity to say like, this is my story. I, I love that. Like it just, I, I am a huge believer of inspired action as well. I, I was not always, but taking inspired action. That's why I'm sitting here talking to you. You know, I always had these ideas and I just never did anything. Inspired action was me going, I feel like we're supposed to move to Montana And we moved to Montana, not knowing a single person. My husband is feeling very inspired to create good Mexican food here. And we were talking about it this morning and he was getting all off on this. Like, what if, what if, and I'm like, you just need to do it. You just Just need to do it because you're excited. Like you went to the store last night and bought stuff for salsa. Salsa in Stevensville, Montana is a joke. Taco Bell hot sauce is is hotter (laughs) than salsa here. And I'm like, you're excited about something. You never get excited about anything. Like you need to do this. And so I am, I am a huge advocate, like, you know, me, I'm going to write that, that note to my old therapist. Like I am going to do that. So I think more people need to be paying attention to that and seeing like what's possible because I think we are so used to just like poo-pooing our ideas. Like, we're just like, Oh, that that's like a pipe dream or like, that's just too out there. Like that's not going to happen. And it's like, what, what if you're wrong? And what if it's not just a pipe dream? Like, what if this can actually happen? Like, what do you have to lose by taking a chance on you? Nothing. Nothing. But if we're 95 years old and in a nursing home and we have regret, that's Mm -hmm. a problem. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be, you know what I mean? So inspired action has literally been a part of my recovery, my evolution, the brand. The other message I I really strongly believe in is just because you're in struggle or maybe you're not out of what you're struggling with doesn't mean you should wait on taking inspired action. The brand, that was knee deep in the middle of my struggle, but I did it anyway. You know what I mean? And it probably like gave you some light. It gave you something to just be excited about and hopeful about. And then that makes you, that just makes you feel better. And that can change just so much of how you feel. Yeah. And a lot of times people are alone and isolated, um, in, in tough Mm -hmm. relationships. So, and that was how I was, you know, I wasn't really interacting with many people it gave me like these people to have zooms with and like, you know, self-defense. It was like a human interaction with a healthy male. And, you know, maybe for one of the first times in my life, having a platonic healthy interaction with a male. Yeah. Mind blowing. It's huge. Right. But yeah, if you're isolated, Interacting with anybody via email or Zooms or at the grocery store, at the dollar store, help people a lot. Like my family is the Dollar General employees locally because uh-huh. we're on a first name 
and I love them. So it's the small, it's the small interactions that sometimes like are the huge ones that keep you going and feeling mm-hmm. connected with us. Yeah. I mean, that's part of why I go get coffee literally every single day here because one, I, I mean, it's been a great way for me to get to know people, but that's such a great start to my day is interacting with people that are just so warm and genuine and friendly. And again, just the, the connections we're building and what we're learning just in terms of networking and within the community and like starting our own business ventures. I mean, it's, it's priceless and it just gives you the warm fuzzies and it feels good to have the warm fuzzies, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And too, when we, when, when it all comes down to it, when we think about our children that are watching us huh? learning community, I didn't learn a lot of that because I had a, a, a very, very depressed mom. Yeah. I didn't know what community was or what that looked like. You know, there was no PTA, there was no interacting with other parents. So it's so huge for me to teach my daughter, look at all of these people that you can interact with and you can create with and you can manifest with and people will be put in your life on purpose so that your life can become your dream life and be bigger and bigger and bigger. And if open to that, you're going to see that. You know, exactly. and if you're close, you don't see that. Yep. Nope. I I feel like so much of what we experienced as kids, Kayla, is very similar. Um, mm-hmm. because I mean, my my mom, I think, was was very depressed, and I think she's even more so now. And um she would be she would be like very outgoing with people, but then it was so weird because she would do then a 180 and she just didn't want to, she didn't want any of us to go outside of like this bubble. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. as time went on, she just became this extremely negative person that just doesn't have a lot of kind things to say about other people. And it makes me sad because I know that that's really just a symptom of what's going on within herself. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I mean, honestly, like as, as recently as when I was pregnant with my son, because I've only seen her once since he was born, she was upset because we were at a service for my grandmother who passed away and I was mingling with my family and at seven months pregnant, helping everybody set up and break stuff down and like Arizona heat in the summer she was upset because I wasn't sitting right there with her, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was just like, it's not my job to be like your right hand. Like, it's not my job to like sit at this throne next to you. That's, that's not my job. My job, my job is to be out with the people, (laughs) you know? And she just did not like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so like, you know, I've spent, so much time trying to be like okay so like what was going on with my mom exactly you know like I knew she had been through a lot but like what does the symptomology add up to and why you know because that's who I am and that's what I do Mm -hmm. but I I think to me as daughters what it comes down to is what it what was the impact on us what was the impact and then how do we heal that regardless of what the label was or the title 
because I'm sure we could throw a lot of different terms at it. Right. So I just stick with depression and like, you know, call it that. Mm -hmm. But the the effect is uh, children aren't seen and heard. Um, You know, children feel this small. You don't get to have your own voice. You don't get to trust other people and community and, and learn and embrace all of that. You usually stay small. Your personality doesn't get to blossom because it's kind of kept in there. There's so much. Yeah. And I honoring, you know, like my 12 year old and honoring, you know, whoever, you know, the injured age of, of your inner child is like, it's so important to honor that and to Mm -hmm. love on yourself. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, when I was on my leave last year, I, I worked with a counselor for a couple of visits and then we, we stopped that relationship because she reminded me of my mom. <laughs> so that was not good. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that she said to me was that your mother sees you as an extension of herself. You yeah. are not your own being. And that I was like, wow, that makes total sense. You know, mm-hmm. everything I did was a reflection on her and I had to behave as even, I mean, seriously, in, when I was pregnant with my son and I was almost 40, I mean, it it continued, it continued on until then, until finally I was just like, Mm -hmm. I am done. And I didn't talk to her for a year, Mm -hmm. you know, where was your dad? Do my me asking Is dad in the story in in the back, in the background, he's in the background and there's, there's a lot, um, there's a lot there that I think, um, there's a reason why I believe that he's in the background, but it's not something that like, like I would probably tell you privately, but it's not something that, you know, I share with people, but there's, there's a reason why he's in the background. And, um, I I think when you were talking about coercive control, that's exactly like, that was exactly the situation that came to mind. And so he, he doesn't say much. And then I think now he's just kind of gotten to the point where it's just easier to go along with her than to, to fight it than to like stand up for me or, you know, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's just easier. He has to live with her. So I do, I do understand, but that was my life off and on for 30 years too. It was just easier to let her have her way. Until I finally got to the point where I'm like, but it's not fair to me, you know? And that is exactly why we want to get into schools and explain. And guess what? We want to meet with, with the students, right? Like, let's say like two to 3 PM. And then we want to hang out and have five to six time that parents come to us. Mm -hmm. So if there is a parent that maybe wants to learn about what coercive control is and what and what supports are out there, maybe they would come and talk to us privately too, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, yeah, because I mean, a lot of these behaviors, I mean, again, having my son was just the best thing for me in so many ways. I mean, aside from just him being this amazing person, but, you know, just the way it got me thinking about how we as parents, like the behaviors that we model for our children or just the other adults or people that are around our children and what's being modeled for them. And so it makes me think 
you know, what are these kids seeing at home? Like the dynamics between their own parents that maybe is telling them this is okay. This is normal because they don't have any other frame of reference. I had so much. Um, so this is really interesting and, and you may have heard it before. Um, but from like zero to five, I think it's zero to five, we're in a hypnotic state mm-hmm. when we are kids. Okay. So what that means is anything that we're seeing, hearing, taking in or experiencing is accepted as truth mm-hmm. and accepted as normal. So I really think about that myself. And that's where, like, it was really hard for me to get at that healing, that really young healing is because of that, you know? So there was a lot that I had healed on a conscious level. um, But the relationships that I ended up in very clearly narrated, hey, this is what else is in there that you're not realizing it, you're accepting as normal, you know? So what were those things? Are you comfortable sharing what some of those things were that you accepted as normal? Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to think like what they were like, like I remember like the first times in some of the relationships, like the first time where I call it the mask slips and it's not that person in the honeymoon period, you know, that maybe you fell in love. And the first time someone talks to you in a demeaning way, if that's the direction the relationship is going to go. And I remember thinking like, you know, back at that time, which I'm in a different place now, but back at that time, oh, what, what did I do? Right. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, it's instantly, what did I do? You know, it's that old, it's that old word of, oh my gosh, what did I do? It must be something I did or said Mm -hmm. or didn't do. You know what I'm saying? And so. But here's the problem with that. The first time you let that happen and you let it go or you stay, that person just figured out that that's what you will tolerate. Yeah. And it's just you and it's just going to get worse. So that like, oh, I must be this person. It must be something I did. Well, guess what? It wasn't. That was the first time that abuser was trying out a technique yeah. on me. And I let it, you know what I mean? Like it it worked because I wasn't through that healing yet. Yeah. And my message to people is the first time someone calls you a name, talks to you in authoritative way, tries to get you to change your work schedule, your job, how you spend your money, how you wear your hair. They try to tell you, oh, you're hanging out that person. I don't think that's a very good friend to you. You know, all of those things happen to me at some course of time. And I've heard them from my clients, mm-hmm. but it's that your partner cares about you and is worried about who you're spending time with or how late you're working. It's they're trying to practice, like, what control do I have? Like, and then, you know, it gets worse. Yeah. I mean, I think, when I think of, you know, the, the relationship I said that felt like very similar to the relationship I was in with my mom or, you know, the experiences I'd had with my mom, like I remember, you know, the way he would talk to me and it was, it just, it blew my mind because I had never, ever dated somebody that like 
that acted that way, that, that would just say these awful things to me. And they were red flags. And there was that part of me that's like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? But at that time, I think I was in a place where I just felt, um, this is the best that I can get, I guess. Like I'm not, I'm not worthy of anything better. And so I just, I stayed off and on for two years and I look at myself and now, you know, I understand, but back then I don't think I understood it as deeply as I probably needed to. And, and, and again, it was like, what, what about me is like accepting this, like, because it's about me, like, yes, he, he is acting like a major asshole, but what is it about me? That's like, okay with that. Cause there's something about me that that's okay with that. Doesn't mean that that's okay, but. Right. And, and I'll tell you what, it wasn't until I, I was almost in a situation where I had to stand alone, you know, on my own two feet and I had to figure life out like in a jiffy. Mm-hmm. Um, there was more than just me to take care of. Right. Yeah. It, it wasn't until I was really alone like alone, alone, that I was able to take that look at myself. And I'm really big into talking about self partnering. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. So that's, that's when that really came to fruition for me. Like, you know what? I am my own partner. I am getting myself up every day. I am getting my boat going in the right direction. I'm taking care of everything. I'm evolving. I'm doing that for myself. I'm not alone. I'm my own partner. Yeah. And I'm part of me. And I think that's a very different space and way of being. Yeah. When you're self-partnered you're really taking care of yourself and you're honoring yourself and you're loving yourself. The good days, the bad days, all of that. Well, and I, I love that. And I feel like when I had, you know, when I had that, that five-year period between when my husband and I broke up and then before we got back together, um, I, I feel like that, that experience that you're describing is very much what I experience with, you know, dating some jerks in there, you know, but, um, the, the one thing that I've always thought about is like, you are the one constant in your life for the Mm. entire duration of your life. Like, you know, you, you lose people or people just fade out of your life, but you are with you your entire life. Like, shouldn't you, feel comfortable being alone? Shouldn't you like yourself? Shouldn't you love yourself? Like, shouldn't you know that like, yeah, it feels good for someone to have my back, but you know what? Ultimately I, I have to have my own back because again, I'm the one constant in my entire life. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times, like what my clients will say to me, and I understand this. Yeah. But I hate myself. Like that doesn't look good if I'm my partner and I'm talking shit to myself. Am I allowed to swear? And yes, you know, <laughs> the show's so, explicit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So like if, if I'm talking shit to myself, but, but number one, it's you're abusing yourself. Like, yeah, first yeah. of all, you get of all the abusive relationships. And if it's yourself, you got to fire yourself and then rehire yourself here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so you really got to get at that, like, okay, but here's the thing. When you were dropped in to this world, you were pure love and pure yeah. innocence. And 
if you hate yourself, you were taught to hate yourself. That was a secondary thing that you learned. You have to go back to the pure love of yourself. And however your source sees you, if your source is the universe, the universe loves us. I mean, we have inspired action and we line up with it and we reach our dreams. If it's God, if it, it doesn't matter what religion, right? That source loves you. That's what you need to go back to and learn how to love yourself again. And you have to do that. You have to self-partner in order to start dating again, because who's going to fire the partner that isn't good to you? Right. It better be self-partner or else you're like me and you're screwed at that time. You're like, well, I'm not doing my job. I'm not firing the people that need to go right. out of my life. Well, I think there, there's a couple of things. Like, I feel like one our, our culture, I, I believe tells us like you, you don't live a full life unless you are coupled with another person. So it's like, you know, I think kind of the mindset too, of a lot of people where it's like, you can't live a full life unless you have kids. Like I've never, I've never agreed with that either. You know, I was fine before I had my son and now I have him and I'm happy and tired and, (laughs) you know, but it's like, I never felt like my life would be unfulfilling, but I feel like, again, our culture is just like, there's just this expectation that you, you need to be attached to someone else. And then another thing that I find interesting is there, there are so many people that don't like themselves. And I think growing up, I mean, what I remember is if there was the slightest bit of something that I expressed confidence about something that I liked about myself, I was instantly shut down because I didn't want to be conceited. That sounded conceited. Yeah. And then there's like another piece for me. That's like, if you don't like yourself, but you're sad that you're not in a relationship, how are you expecting other people to dig you and think that you're awesome? If you don't think that you're awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you make a lot of good points. And I think a lot of it for those of us that are lucky to be alive right now in this time and space have experienced that the societal pressures um, for both women and men, mm-hmm. you know, you recreate, you're supposed procreate, you're supposed to find a partner, you're supposed to do that before you do that, you're so you know, mm-hmm. and then, um, but I call bullshit on all of it. I know people who are so fulfilled that are single or divorced and they don't have kids and they're living their life and they're happy because they're self-partnered, I would say, but not call it that, you know, and then you have, I mean, I'm sure you've met people who are married for a decade or two, have beautiful children in the house, the picket fence, the great jobs, and they're freaking miserable. miserable. Mm -hmm. So it's, I, I think life is about dreaming up what the best life for you would be what the most fulfilling life for you would be and going in that direction, like hardcore, right. And not looking back and not looking at what other people think and how many likes you got on the content or, you know, mm-hmm. not, not caring, you know, unfortunately, or for, fortunately our parents were only a certain place evolved when they had us. Right. And then 
they were only a certain place evolved as they were raising us, you know? So we are going to keep evolving during our whole lives in our dream life. That may shape shift as well what that is, right. but you cannot, you can't look at your family of origin and say, do they agree with what I'm doing? Because they might not be as evolved as you are in your own self. Yeah. That like, I can just, I can relate to that. I'm like, I don't even talk to them about anything because I, they just, they just aren't there. They're, we're just in two totally different places. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'm the kind of person that's like, I don't want to have a conversation unless it's deep, you know? Yes. So you have to find people to do that with that want to do that with you. And sometimes it's your family and sometimes it's not. You yeah, know? It's, it's definitely not my family. I mean, I do love having, you know, just I, I can have like silly conversations and but I find that the more I talk to people, um, you know, because I, I have like a, a Hallmark themed Instagram that I do not nearly as consistently as Awaken the Extraordinary, but that's just fun. Like, it's just fun. And it's just our, our shared love of these movies that make us feel good. But then it's like, but why do they make us feel good? And mm -hmm. what can we do to put more of that? that good out into the world. So it's like, even though on the surface, it looks kind of superficial, it's like there's, there's deeper intention behind it for me. And I find that these people that I'm connecting with, like if we're just chatting about the latest movie or how hot one of the actors is, it, it always goes into a deeper conversation where I'm able to get to know these people. And some of the stuff they're sharing with me, I'm just blown away by so, you know, I'm like, okay, I, I, I like having some of these silly conversations, but then they just always seem to get to that deeper level. And I'm like, well, that's okay. Because that, that's really what lights me up inside. It's just getting to know people at that deeper level and having these more, these more reflective and introspective types of conversations. Yeah. So. And it, for you and I, because we both like to do that. So, <laughs> hey, let's. <laughs> I know. And I like, you love to dance too. I see you dancing all the time with your daughter. I didn't realize what I was up to with that until actually one of my clients pointed it out during a group and said, you know what? I think you dance every morning because that's what like raises your vibe or oh. like your energy. You mm -hmm. know? And I, oh my gosh, you're so right. Like my body and my being knows what it needs and just mm -hmm. does that. And I'm like, that's it. you're, you're totally right about that. Yeah. Yeah. And then I say to people, when's the last time you danced? And they're like, oh, it's been a while. I said, in the privacy of your own home, turn a song on that you just cannot resist and dance around a little bit and see like rate one to 10. How do you feel before that? How do you feel after that? I guarantee you, your number is going to be higher. Yeah. Yeah. I had someone tell me that you know, they, they kind of laugh at like the, the stuff that I do on Instagram. And they just said, like, I could never do that because I just feel so self-conscious. And I said, well, wh what if no one's watching you, you know, like then what, you know, I mean, like exactly like you said, turn on some music and just dance like that way. You don't have to worry about what anyone's thinking. And she was just like, no, I've just never felt 
like comfortable doing that. And I'm like, even by yourself, like, even if no one's watching and it made me so sad because it just feels so good to just like let loose and have fun and not care about what anyone thinks. And it just made me so sad for that person. And I just said, well, I, I hope one day you feel comfortable enough to just, you know, just, just shake it. it a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Do you know, do you know who Brene Brown yes, is? I do. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget one of her Ted talks that I watched. It's about your critics and she has this amazing concept in there where she says imagine essentially life is like you're in an auditorium you're on the stage and you know there's this sea of seats and people she says reserve always it doesn't matter what you're doing reserve two seats for your critics put them in the front row reserve them there's always going to be people right but it's only two seats and that's the reality of it. Like, yeah, you're going to have somebody who says something negative or has a negative thought, but I guarantee you it's because they're thinking, gosh, I could never do that. And then they're picking you apart, you know? Oh and, yeah. Uh, that's okay. But you know, the amount of people that I'm sure reach out to you and that I've had a couple people say to me, thank you for posting uplifting content. And that's what I try to do is post the uplifting stuff, but with some in, informative stuff too, that I think is like very important to say. And also I'm kind of trying to say like, I'm thriving. My daughter is thriving. Mm-hmm. Look at the that we're happy doing and dancing, but maybe we've also been through this. Mm-hmm. You can thrive too. It's not a story. It's a thriver story. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I think when I look at, again, just kind of like our society culture, um, I feel like there, there is a lot of focus on really just kind of that, that victim mentality and how someone is worse off because of something. And I believe that there needs to be more focus on just a, a mindset shift and, and look, look at this person, like, yes, they, they survive, but look, they're thriving. Look at what they're doing. Look at what's good. Look at the, the good that came from this, you know, instead of focusing on the stuff that doesn't make us feel good. Why don't we just choose to focus on the stuff that makes us feel good? Yeah. And and it lights us up and that gives us hope. Absolutely. And like, you can get there from the struggle. You can do that. Mm -hmm. You can take action. And the more content that's out there, that's educational, it's good because maybe, maybe people will get up and say, I don't want to be in this struggle anymore. And there are people and ways for me to get out of this and then to create good from this. Right. And what I, what I like about what, you know, what I see you doing on, on Instagram is it's, it's very similar. I feel to like what I'm doing is trying to take this this approach, like for me, I use humor. And so Mm -hmm. I try to find something funny, you know, like I use like a scene from National Lampoon's Vacation when, you know, Clark's saying that Aunt Edna's fine and, and, you know, Ellen's saying she's not fine. She's actually dead. And, you know, kind of using that as like a launch pad for just how many times do we say someone's fine and they're actually not? You know, I mean, this was a very extreme case, but using humor. And I feel like you use, you know, like the songs you choose or like the videos you choose 
they're, they're light or they're, they get your attention or they get you moving, but then there's also like a deeper message there. And so it, it does feel like a lighter way to approach a really heavy and often painful situation. So I think that's part of why I connected with you too, is it wasn't just like gloom and doom and how awful is this? It's exactly what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that that's how, like, that's what attracted you to it. And it's coming across how I'm like, you know, my, my intent for it. Yeah. Oh yeah, it definitely is. So I want to be sensitive to your time and I know my son will probably be home soon. <laughs> so I just want to give you these last couple of minutes just to share whatever is on your heart, whatever you feel inspired to share and let people know, you know, how they can follow you and maybe get in touch with you if they need some sort of help. Sure. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on here too, by the way. So, um, I think on both Instagram and TikTok, if they type the Kayla Shannon, that would be a way to do that. And you can follow me. It's public. Um, and feel free to message me on either platform. Um, I also have a link tree where people can click and find me um, through there as well. If you just want to connect and say that there was something, you know, that you connected with, um, or if you're looking for help, I will help anybody in any way in any country or state that I possibly can too. So please to reach out to me. And to remember that if you're in a situation, it's really important to have a safety plan and people in place before you make moves. So it's really important to do that. And there are domestic violence hotlines nationally and locally. But if you don't want to use your local one, um, that was, you know, part of my concern. Uh, You can use your national ones and they can help as well. And that things are never fully hopeless, even if people feel I could never get out of this financially or my credit is shot from this relationship or, you know, whatever Uh, there is hope and there are people out there that can help. So I just really, I would love for people to come and follow along. And if there's anything that helps them from what I'm doing, or if there's any content people want created that could be helpful for them, let me know. And I'm happy to do that too. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I, I just appreciate what you're doing so much. And I've, you know, I, I don't think I've been in as dire a situation. At, I mean, I know, I know I have not been in as dire a situation as probably many people. So I'm very thankful that you and people like you exist and just really open your hearts to helping people get out of situations that they don't deserve to be in and really give them the the start that they need, the fresh start that they need. So thank you. So I hope you took something away, just one little nugget of info from this conversation. As I said during the intro, I did not anticipate our conversation just going all of the different ways that it did, but I'm so thankful that it did. When I think about what my idea of a relationship was as a kid, my ideas were formed by what I saw being modeled by my parents and what 
television and movies and music taught me about what I should want. This is normal. This isn't normal. And what's kind of disturbing is I go back to a lot of the movies that I liked, or I listen now to a lot of the songs that I liked. And I find it a bit troubling. I think we as a culture have romanticized behaviors that maybe are not the healthiest from a relationship perspective. Um, you know, as I shared in in the conversation with Kayla, you know, I, I had a boyfriend that was very controlling and I thought it was amusing. And, you know, me and my girlfriends romanticized it. It's like, oh, wow, he must really like you if he's so concerned about you talking to other guys. And it's just these behaviors that are actually very concerning, but we've kind of twisted it so that it's endearing and sweet and it's really troubling to me. And I am so glad that we have people like Kayla and Kayla that understand the importance of talking to kids at an age where they're starting to to date and get into the res- these relationships and really talking to them about what's healthy versus what isn't healthy. And I was listening to a a song by Avril Lavigne the other day and I think it's a relatively recent song and um I think it's called Hate It When You Love Me. And I was like, wait a minute, what is going on here? I'm like, am I back in like, what was it? The early 2000s? Like, have we not learned anything at all? I don't know. I just think that we need to take Holly, we we need to take out what Hollywood tells us and what the music industry tells us. And maybe like those really crappy examples that we had for us in terms of relationships as children and think about like what what feels good where do we feel safe where do we feel respected and yes this guy might be like super super hot but if he's super possessive of me and who I talk to or he's going through my phone like that's not a respectful relationship and I just encourage you that if you are dating anybody or if you are in a long-term relationship with someone, if any of this like kind of triggered something in your mind to like think about you and, you know, your present situation, I encourage you to explore that from a non-judgmental place, just explore that. And if you or anyone you know needs help getting out of a situation that does not feel safe for you, for your family, please reach out and get help. There is a 24-7 hotline that you can call. 
It's 1-800-799-SAFE. So again, that number is 1-800-799-SAFE. For hearing impaired individuals, if you know of someone who is hearing impaired and may need assistance, that phone number is 206-518-9361. And if you're not comfortable reaching out via phone and you just want to talk to someone, you can always contact Kayla. You can find her on Instagram at the self-partnered therapist and she can chat with you. She can put you in touch with local resources that may be able to assist you again, if you are in a situation that just does not feel safe. And if there's anyone, you know, that needs help, that may be in a situation that's not healthy, please share this with them if you feel comfortable doing so. And I know this was a bit of a heavier topic, but we're all in relationships, right? We're in different kinds of relationships with different people. And these abusive relationships aren't always with our partners. So if this has you thinking of relationships with family members, again, I I just encourage you to explore that from a non-judgmental, non-critical place. You deserve to be treated with respect. You deserve to feel safe with those that you're in a relationship with. And if you don't, then I encourage you to reach out and talk to someone. Thank you for being here. Stay kind, stay compassionate, and stay curious with yourself and others. And I will talk with you soon.